One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 upfront for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for a limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcare.com/weightloss. <laughs> Hi, Alia. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm very good, thank you. I've, I've really genuinely looking forward to this conversation. I think you have got a fascinating story. There are so many places that we could start. Uh, let's start at the beginning. What do you think your earliest memory of showing ADHD traits was? I have been thinking about this a lot because I only got my diagnosis last year. So I'm 33 this year. So obviously just turned 32 when I got my diagnosis. So for me to unpick that in my own head, I've had to kind of look backwards to be able to look forwards, if that makes sense. And it's really interesting because, you know, obviously having ADHD, you just have it. That's just the way you are. It's the way you're wired. And there were always things about my childhood that... I just thought were me that were quirky that were you know a bit different but um it was really obvious actually (laughs) because looking back it was things like I was always fidgety um school I was not disruptive but because I found it quite overwhelming and difficult I just walk off Mm. (laughs) so I remember in like little school I would you know often I would just walk into another classroom to go see my friend because my best friend Vicky we were in like I don't know year three or four and the way our school was, you'd go across the hallway and you had two different like form rooms. And I was just thinking, this is boring. <laughs> and I would just sneak across, go on a little adventure and just mm. go sit in the back of the class. I would do that so often um, that the teachers were just like, just do it, it's fine. Um, and just things like, I remember one of the things, I, I forgot I did this actually, I used to pull the downstairs, um, under the stairs of my dad's house. We used to have this cupboard. You know the everything cupboard? Mm. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, I used to because my my parents, I'm estranged from them, but, like, my dad is a hoarder, and I used to hate it. And I think, right, I'm going to clean this out. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to organise it. I'm going to make it look really fancy. And I would pull the whole cupboard out. (laughs) I remember doing this. And then I'd get distracted, realise it was a really boring thing to do. And instead, I don't know if you remember... um, do you remember Ready Steady Cook? Yeah, of course, with uh, Ainsley Harrier, right? Yeah, yeah, they used to have these like ring binders where you'd get like recipe cards, and you like it would have like the green peppers and the red tomatoes or whatever on the front. And I just remember sitting cross-legged in my kitchen, surrounded by pots and pans and like piles <laughs> of stuff. 
reading all the recipes thinking oh I'm gonna cook this one day and I was like 10 <laughs> um I think like looking back it was a bit obvious mm. <laughs> but it just things like that just getting distracted really easily were you quite sociable when you were at school did you have I know you mentioned a friend there did you have a, a large friendship group or we did we did just a couple of friends no I would say <laughs> um, so there's lots of different things so you know, kind of my childhood affected things um I started working when I was 12 so like at weekends I was you know working with my dad on a Sunday and uh, I got bullied a lot actually and um I got bullied year seven year eight and year nine year nine I just um retaliated I, I would say politely <laughs> um, and then year 10 and 11 um was better but I was quite quiet I was kind of kept to myself um I think people enjoyed the fact that as kids do the kids are terrors aren't they I think they knew that if they wind me up I would explode mm -hmm. which obviously was just me not being able to regulate my own emotions and so I'd often just get kicked out and, and put into isolation so I think half the time was the kids just finding joy in watching me kick off and mm. then the other half was me enjoying the silence and being like okay well if I do this I can go and sit in a room on my own um so was I social as a kid probably I'm probably not social <laughs> now, to be honest <laughs> <laughs> no I, I only asked the question because for me it's fascinating because I, I'm not I I had a couple of friends yeah. in school and I've got a couple of friends now but I, I I'm pretend I prefer to keep myself to myself um and I've never, I haven't asked that question to anyone else yet. So it was just interesting to hear, hear your answer. And yeah, it, it rings true. It's very relatable. And have you, do you think you've got any better at the, the regulating of the emotions if someone winds you up, but not now or at any time in between school and now? Yes, it's a very complicated answer, but yes, um, I did a lot of work and I kind of did a lot of therapy. I did a lot of mindset coaching and um, I kind of am picking it like my, my dad had a temper and I always used to think, oh, you know, I was just like my dad. Um, there are moments where and gladly when I'm on my own so I used to isolate myself a lot just because if I did kind of flare off the handle I didn't want to it's embarrassing you know now I'm a 32 year old woman and if I've got sensory issues in the car I will have a tantrum but like because I know nobody else is there um it's difficult I think as an adult you can't just you know like you might as a, in a kid in a supermarket you might throw yourself on the floor you know kick and scream and just not be very happy with with general life around you but um I think you have to don't you you mm. have to learn to bite your lip I have learned to not be triggered in the first place for some things um but there are times where you know there are triggers I mean for example <laughs> it's a stupid trigger but we're in my house at, like a housing estate sorry that we've got like bays rather than driveways mm. And, you know, they're numbered. They've got your house on them. And then if people like, there's lots of Airbnbs and it's so stupid. But if somebody parks in my bay instead of just parking in the, the free areas where they should. Have you ever seen that Disney movie? You know where they're all the different colours, the emotions. Have you seen it? Uh, oh, no, I don't think I have actually. Oh, no. I'm going to have to come back to this one. Yeah. But yeah, it's just it, like, you feel like the red missed mm. and you're just like just a parking spot so I have with great difficulty but sometimes it can still be a challenge how can other people be so so stupid <laughs> they're, they're numbered it's so clear <laughs> I am so close to getting spray paint yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for, the, for the, the pavement mm. not the cars <laughs> do you remember what your school reports said about you 
No, I can't, to be honest. I know that my teachers often thought I was difficult. Mm. Not all of them. Mr. Uh, Mr. Clark in particular, my science teacher, I loved him. He had like the greatest um, teaching method and he was so cool and nice and made things so easy to understand. So we got on. But like my math teacher, math is still not my strength. I'm a, I'm a words lady. And uh, my math teacher would just go red in the face and she'd just say that I was just, you know, absent-minded, difficult, like trying to just cause issues for the rest of the car- class and disruptive. I just didn't get it. And then you try and explain that I'm really struggling. And even then, this was like year, um, like in adult school, so like I think year, year 10 or something, I would say, look, can I just go in the other maths class like I used to in, in, in primary school? And they said, no, this is your set. And so in the end, I just walk off. I just go in the other class again um, because nobody was listening that it just didn't go in. Mm. So I think that my teachers just generally just thought I was a bit of a nuisance more than anything. Mm. It's so interesting here you say phrases like absent-mindedness, because uh, I've interviewed uh, four women now on this podcast and and one of the men I've interviewed as well, none of them have what I would say are the stereotypical, well, they have some of them, but they haven't said their primary traits are what you would consider to be the, the main stereotypical ones if you were to Google the symptoms of or the traits of ADHD. Yeah. I think there's so much, there's such a gap between what, a lot of people think ADHD is and how it actually presents itself. Um, so when was when was ADHD first mentioned in your life? When did it first come into your sphere of consciousness? We so it was a it was a year ago. It was really weird because the week before it actually arrived, the guy I went on a date with off whatever app he he just mentioned ADHD to me. And I remember at the time thinking that was a bit weird, um, but I'd so there's a tiny story to it. So I'll tell you so. I have always had terrible memory and my memory is awful and that's probably my biggest problem and I think when you think about that it's it's not just oh I can't remember yesterday it's things like forgetting to change your driving license and then forgetting to you know in uh, do your MOT and then all the, the, the background stuff that comes off the back of that um and so I didn't I'd never thought about that in the frame of perhaps it's an executive dysfunction disorder or you know whatever the the, the science is um, in 2012, so I was 22, I got hit by a car and I was cycling. Um, I had a helmet on, thank- thankfully, and a woman who was um, text driving had her face down. I could see her and she just put her foot down, drove out into me and I went headfirst into the windscreen and ended up in hospital. And at the time I had, um, I got concussion which is really hard to kind of diagnose in terms of well how long does that last Mm. and so I I remember I even what I do now so I would you know if I meant to say tomorrow I would um I'd say yesterday by accident and and I would have these weird like blackout things and I would now now what I know to be just when you dissociate from whatever your reality is and you just switch off um that would happen and that never really became apparent to me until that crash so I so I always just put that down to the 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 concussion and in the first six months it was really bad um and it started to kind of meander away but then it never really left and so I always just thought well maybe I have brain damage or you know <laughs> maybe just when I like because the way that just the doctor described it to me at the time is it's, it sounds like you've hit your head so hard and things were moving about that they haven't quite stopped moving about yet um and so I was never really aware of these things even though I look back and, and see it was st- it was always a problem 
um, it was just worsened, I guess, by the, the head trauma. So I just thought, oh, you know, maybe my head doesn't work anymore. Um, so there was that. And I went on believing that um, and thinking that maybe I was just you know, a bad human or I just couldn't do stuff or maybe I was just stupid or broken. And on top of the head issue, I also thought I was going deaf. So the reason that was is because whenever I go out into a social situation, if I go out with my friends, which is why I hate social situations, other than the fact my ability to read a room is one of the reasons I, I hate most rooms, is um, is I would go anywhere if you're going for food or drinks and I'd have an awful time because you just spend the whole time lonely because you can't hear anyone. It, it's so loud and there's so many people and you get stressed and then obviously I'm angry because I'm like, people bumping into you and I thought because my friends could talk to each other in a loud room in a nightclub and I'd just be stood there like what sorry what 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 are you trying to say and then after the sixth or seventh time of asking your friends to repeat themselves you just just in the end you say oh yeah you just nod and smile and you just crack on Mm. and you just spend the whole night oblivious to what anybody was saying right and so this got quite bad where I would be you know my brain and my ears together so I'd be forgetting clients names and I wouldn't be able to hear people and I stopped taking phone calls because without being able to see people's mouths there'd be like a delay and I was like right I think my hearing is going so I went private first of all to um, get my ears checked out and they said you've got a perforated eardrum and you need a a hearing aid so I was like right okay Um, it was going to cost about four grand (laughs) so I thought well I pay my taxes I'll go for the NHS instead Um, so I went to the NHS who did more testing um, and did it in in a lot of depth and I was really lucky actually because the guy the doctor sorry um had a hearing aid and he was also neurodivergent himself so he obviously knew what to look for so we went through these tests and he said to me with the exception of the the sounds like and like t and then ft um or th sorry he said with the exception of those you've actually got really good hearing and I was like, right, okay. And he was—he basically told me through showing me the science and the screen and whatever. He said, your hearing's really good. You don't have a hearing problem. Um, and I said, well, okay, well, I understand what you're saying based on what we're looking at. I said, but why is it that when I'm out and about and I'm in these uh, these environments, why is it that my experience is my experience? Because you know your graphs on the screen aren't gonna isn't gonna minimise that for me. And he said to me, he said, I don't think you have a hearing problem. He said, I think you have an attention problem. And that just set me on a whole catalyst of oh wow okay like Mm. well what do you mean by that and I went um so I went private with it was a bit unorthodox I I I got a screening by somebody who I know so I didn't go through the channels we've done the proper examinations to say yeah and for example the assessment that usually takes her one hour uh we took three hours (laughs) (laughs) because (laughs) because we were just going through Mm. everything um and that's how that kind of came to be that's fascinating really fascinating so you you went on a date and it was mentioned by someone and then you had this bike incident Mm. and that made you aware of what you thought was a hearing issue and then that took Mm. you to the doctors and the doctor was neurodivergent and they said have you ever thought about getting assessed for ADHD. That, I mean, that's that's a, probably a quite a unusual route to diagnosis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was just like because obviously that was over like a ten year period. Mm. So the crash was ten years ago, right, and that led okay. me to believe 
I was just, you know, mm. I was just damaged. <laughs> I just thought I had brain damage. Um, and then the whole, the hearing thing has been as long as I can remember. Mm. So that's been just going on. And then the, they're the kind of things that you just live with. You don't, you don't think anybody else is having a different experience. And you don't think that your experience is different to the point that if you did something about it, you would have a better quality of life. Mm. And so I just, it was literally, I mean, the, the guy was just random for, for saying that. He was the only person to pick up on it. But because of the hearing problems and finally thinking, look, I'm going to try and do something. It was that doctor that said, you know, that was the catalyst. Um, and it was mad because once I had my diagnosis, I told, you know, people that I knew, because at first I felt a bit embarrassed. I felt really like, I felt a bit ashamed. I don't know why. There's nothing to be ashamed of. And um, nobody was surprised. <laughs> and a lot of people, like my, my closest people, people that have known me, like as long as the longest person has known me, I guess, since I was about 15, 14, 15, they're like, oh, yeah, I could have told you that. Well, what was, mm. <laughs> why, why didn't you? Like, did you not think to mention it? <laughs> um, and it was crazy because I, like like I said earlier, I'm estranged from my, um, my dad. I grew up with my dad. My mum left when I was younger. And uh, we don't talk for various reasons. Um, but I, he's my only access to like medical information, like family history, because I left home at 16. And so, you know, you're a kid. That was, I'm 32 now. That was half my life ago. So I just kind of reached out to him and just said, look, I'm going through this diagnosis. I'm going through this journey. Just wondered if you could, you know, shed some light in this direction. Um, and I don't often trust much he's got to say. So he said to me, Yes, um, you know, runs in the family quite heavily. Like he's, um, I can't remember what he, I think he's got ADHD and autism as well because I suspect he might have autism, but I'm still going through that journey. Um, and so I just said to him, like, why is it you think I'm, you know, neurodivergent? And so he listed all these things. Um, and I remember reading this list and just thinking, ah, oh, damn. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I all of that now. <laughs> And so it just mm. kind of set me off that path, really. I know you said that after you got the diagnosis, you felt ashamed uh, and embarrassed for, for various reasons. After I got my diagnosis, I, I went through a, a wave of different emotions. Did you find that you kind of started with um, maybe frustration or uh, anger or maybe just you you didn't really think that it changed anything or did you maybe then look back at your life and think ah oh, that and that and that behavior was attributed to this diagnosis and did you go through waves of feelings after the diagnosis yeah I would say I, would, I still do I think because you know it's only been a year um so at first it was relief actually because it was this whole feeling of, oh, maybe I'm not broken. <laughs> you know, maybe I'm not, you know, an idiot. Maybe I don't need to isolate myself from the world because, you know, there are people that do think like me. And even though I do think differently and potentially wired differently or whatever, you know, the science is, you know, it just kind of made me feel less alone mm -hmm. because before that point, I would isolate myself so much. And what we were saying earlier about having friends, like I have amazing people in my life, but I've always kept them at arm's length. And part of that's just because I felt, without realising, I, I kind of felt and knew I was different, but didn't know why. And then I was kind of didn't want people to see that I was different. And it was just easier to be separated. And so having 
an understanding of myself really started to allow me to kind of knock down the walls I made within myself in the first place. And I would say, actually, even though I'm still on a journey, it's given me a much better quality of life. Um, I mean, the first thing I did, I'm quite a proactive and, 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 and intuitive person. So like, I like information. <laughs> I like to understand stuff. And so the first thing I did was I just got an Insta and I just followed like every ADHD <laughs> group mm. I could get my hands on. And what I found really cathartic was the posts are great, obviously, but generally it's the comments. And so if you see something and you think, oh yeah, I, did, I didn't realize that was a thing. So the most random, I will give you an example that I saw, and I don't know if you do this or any of the listeners do, but um, a, a neurodivergent trait can be um, things with textures. So if I have a drink, I'll always have like three liquids, especially if I have a hot drink. If I have a hot drink, I have to have a cold drink. You know, if I've got a glass of wine, I have to have lemonade. And often I like water as well. And it's having those different flavors. And I just thought that was a normal thing. Apparently it's a neurodivergent thing. Don't ask me why, I don't know. <laughs> but um, apparently it's not normal. People don't do that. Um, and so I would see this on a post and people say, oh, I do that. And there's so many just like little qualities and traits and you just think, okay, right. Like I get it. Yeah. I see that now. And for me, I found it and it's not an excuse. Like it's, it's more not feeling alone. I think mm. social media, that was my, sorry, go on. And social media. Oh, social media is such a powerful tool for building that community and mm-hmm. making you aware of content that, might open your eyes or make you aware or make you feel less alone to doing various things that we do. Um, things like you just said, you saw that you, there are other people that do hot, <coughs> hot, hot drinks with cold drinks and wine with lemonade. Um, but it, it was a group of people, maybe on a, an ADHD page or an autism page. And that maybe, you know, was the kicker that, that made you think, oh, I'm, I'm not alone. I think it's such a powerful tool. It's so helpful if you can find those communities on on, on Instagram, in, in your case. Yeah, I would say that. I think that's the thing that, that's made the journey easier because what I found a challenge, and they, to be fair, like the friends and the people I have in my life, they're, they're so sweet and they're understanding. There have been some others that have been, um, I'm, we're not friends anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just can't try to think of a nice way to say it. Um, and they like they try their best, but as much as, you know, I think differently to them, they think differently to me. And so sometimes when you are trying to talk things through, because they're not because they don't see the world in, in a similar way to me, they're trying to have to they have to try to understand it first to be able to talk about it. And then it's kind of like, well, I'm I'm learning myself so it's not my job to educate you to be my ally and there's this whole friction and it's a bit frustrating and it adds to that "Mm, I'm not feeling heard or no that that's not quite it and so I stopped doing that because that wasn't a a useful way even though they tried their very best it wasn't a, a useful way to have those conversations and so for me and if somebody's kind of at the start of their journey, I would say definitely like finding a community, even if it's just on Instagram. I mean, I started a page and hid it and hid it so that nobody would know it was me <laughs> just for the same reason. And I've already had messages saying, look, that's exactly how I feel. And, you know, it's so obviously I'm not a doctor or a scientist and nothing I say here is is factually accurate I can only speak to my experience but sometimes I like I even even coming onto this podcast I was thinking do I really have ADHD am I just making a, like am I just making a bit of a fuss am I just you know, this whole imposter syndrome mm. thing am I just like 
you know, am I just pretending? <laughs> but then if when you look at these hosts and channels and communities and what they are, whatever they are, and you relate to so much of that stuff, all these comments and, and experience of, of other people, you know, you're not, you're not faking anything. You're just living your lived experience. And it kind of, I found it so useful just to be able to accept myself for who mm. I am really mm. and like in terms of like masking and things I know we'll, we'll maybe talk about that a bit later but in terms of like masking and just hiding all the, the things that make me me I kind of stopped doing that and I think that's really good because actually I'm pretty cool as a person <laughs> I don't <laughs> mind saying that I've got a lot of really good qualities and when I was so um focused on trying to hide myself because I was ashamed of maybe who I was I was hiding all of myself and, and, and that was kind of a disservice to even just me, really. Mm. You said there that you, you, you don't hide yourself and you don't. Did you say that you don't mask anymore? I'm closer to not. It's still a process, but I used to mask everything. And um, there's still times I <laughs> hide. But I would, I would say I'm going towards just, just being whoever I am and, and accepting mm. that whoever I am fine and okay I mean, it sounds like you're in, in, in an amazing place it sounds like you're you're confident it sounds like you're so self-aware that's the that's the the key i think to to yeah. to being content and happy is to have that self-awareness and to know that when you when something does go wrong or something does go right you have that knowledge now of of the diagnosis and then with also with the communities that you can find on instagram or other platforms to know that you're you've got the network as the support network as well mm-hmm. speaking of relationships not romantic ones but <laughs> friendships because this mm-hmm. is something i've struggled with in the past and I'd, i've spoken to the other guests and i'd love to hear your opinion on it do you struggle to maintain friendships on the whole yes um but not always and i don't necessarily think that's a terrible thing and let me expand what I mean on that. So the friendships I do maintain are incredible. You know, they're amazing people. Their values are high. You know, they're very respectful. You know, we don't argue. And that's not because we're avoidant. It's just because they're good people, right? And, you know, finding that network has been hard because even, you know, I've lived in this house for a year and, and there was a a girl I met around the corner and, and she and I are no longer friends and so I go through a lot of people but I don't always see that as a bad thing. Do you think you've just got a really quick process of of working out if that person's going to serve you or not mm-hmm. or if there's a compatibility issue you might just have a really quick processing system? I really do and because I have my, so one of my friends I was thinking about because one of the good my good friends Kim she um so she we and her and I spoke about and this is both romantically and and not she said I don't think you give people this is a very safe space I was happy with the feedback she said I don't think you give people enough of a benefit of the doubt and I thought well maybe I don't so I tried it (laughs) and so when I started to when you say like detection um because obviously we're in I'm in business I've got three businesses and you come across a lot of people, like potential clients to work with and networking and, and who do you speak to? Then you've got romantic. And then obviously you've just got friends of friends that you meet. And, you know, they're not always bad people. They're just, are we going to clash? Are you going to bring like goodness into my life? You know, when you walk into a room and someone either lights you up or drains you, 
I I don't have the energy to be drained. Like some people will have friendship groups with both people. I I, I just don't want to be friends with somebody that drains the soul out of me and I don't think that's a problem and um and so when my friend said to me maybe you don't give people the benefit of the doubt enough I thought maybe you're right you know I'm I'm, I'm open to the crit- critique and and maybe that's that's maybe I do do that and so I tried it and um so people would come in if I meet friends of friends and oh, a guy let's be honest it's generally dating it applies to and you know you get this kind of I wouldn't say red flag but you get this little trigger and you think oh and you want to lean into that. You want to investigate that and think, is that going to sit right with me? Is, it, is this a value that I can get on board with? Is this a behavior that, you know, I, I don't mind? And whereas before I would have just gone, no. <laughs> I just thought, okay, we'll just explore. We'll just, we won't do anything with it. We'll just be aware of it. And we'll lean into it and see what happens. And then, you know, one week, two weeks, I wouldn't, I would draw the line at a month because time is precious. But person always ends up doing the thing that I would say, well, that was the problem in the first place. Mm. So it was like, is it that I don't give people the benefit of the doubt or is it just that you're a bit slower at seeing this stuff than I am? And so it's important to know that. I think we've got amazing intuition. You, 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 Mm. you uh, suggested it earlier. I think you said the word intuition and like you said, you can walk into a room and read it instantly. You can tell the people that like you, the people that don't like you, you can spot the red flags instantly. And if you ignore those red flags and don't trust your gut instinct, then like you just said, they can come and bite you later on. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting because intuition, like a heightened sense of intuition is something that I, I think I've got. And every guest I've spoken to on this podcast, they've said, oh my God, yes, I have that as well. Um, yeah. To And I know it's, it's, you know, it could be quite common to have intuition, but I swear we have incredible intuition. I think it's because we can read the little micro movements of the facial expressions and we can pick up on everything and we can tell when someone's not being genuine or when someone's trying to screw us over or trying to manipulate us, whatever it is, we we can see right through people. Do you, do you, do you see that in yourself? I definitely. And I really agree with you. And I think to add to that, because self-awareness is everything. And, and in addition to that list, I think there will also all be people that are not aware of themselves. So sometimes I, I know somebody else is feeling before they realize they're feeling. And then two weeks later, they'll tell me and I'll be like, I know I, I, I saw that. <laughs> and then it's frustrating because you're trying to talk to somebody about a, a conversation they're not ready to have because they don't know it yet. Mm. And I think when, and I think that's, that happens a lot. And, and it's people's lack of self-awareness sometimes where they don't really know where they're at within themselves and they're kind of bumbling along and they're not moving with intent. I think that creates a, sh- uh, uh, not a shift, a, like um, a friction because we're like, well, I can see it. Mm. And because, all, you know, authenticity and, and directness and just that lack of abstract, it's like, well, it, it's confusing. And I find that confusing. Um, and, and what you said about kind of heightened um, intuition Interestingly enough, and there's probably will be listeners that have been through a similar journey, even though I've always been that way, I've not always been that way because I, for a very long time, turned my back on my intuition and I didn't listen to myself. Um, and I think that comes from, you know, I don't mind saying, I had, um, and, you know, I had a very violent childhood and I was always told like the opposite of who I am. I was told of who I am by by my dad. And so you kind of have this rhetoric of, oh, you know, 
no, I don't believe myself. I'm wrong. Like what I believe to be true is not accurate. And I carried that into adulthood. And so I would, you know, I, I don't mind saying I would go from like abusive relationship to abusive relationship and I would see the red flags and I would spend the whole time miserable and I would go to crap jobs with crap bosses and, and be really uncomfortable and not like it. And there was in my, like my gut, I would ignore myself so much that my gut would hurt because what I learned retrospectively was, you know, my intuition was screaming. That little girl inside me was saying, this isn't right. And I would just be going, shh, (laughs) you know? And like my body, like I would feel physically sick and like I would, everything about me would say, this isn't right for you. This isn't good. This isn't a good environment. And so I would listen to the voices around me, not in my head, but like the people that were saying, oh, no, just stay in that job. You know, this whole rat race thing that, you know, we're a similar age. I think you're you're 34 and I'm 32. But, you know, when we were growing up, we were told, get that job, stay there for 30 years, stay like, you know, raise a family, do all these things, stay in this this relationship, get married and and be together for 70 years, which obviously is the dream. But, you know, there was no emphasis on be in the right relationship be in the right job, you know, have a career that that makes you feel fulfilled, you know, be around, don't be afraid to be on your own, be around people that actually bring you life. Mm. And because, you know, I had this this dialogue around me and this pressure from, from the outside sources to just conform. And, oh, my gosh, I don't know about you, but I am not a conformist. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and and it was almost like I, I listened and I tried so hard to fit in this box that everybody wanted me to be in that the cost of that was my intuition. Mm. And I learned, I don't know where, I couldn't tell you, but somebody said, like, if you ignore your intuition long enough, you'll lose it. And I started to pay attention to when I was hurting physically. Like, for example, I got engaged when I was 19 to a guy who's like nearly my age now at the time, which says you a lot about what that relationship. And um, I didn't want to be with him. I only said, yeah, because I, I didn't want to say no. And it wasn't particularly pleasant. We'd lived together. We just didn't do much. We obviously engaged in, in some not great activities. And um it was just partying. It was just escapism. And I just thought, oh, this is, you know, this is just all I deserve. And um, I remember it was so powerful. Um, I am getting to my point, I promise. But I, I was at his mum and dad's and my wedding dress was upstairs and we had the wedding planned and we, they were talking about, um, they wanted to go on this family holiday to safari or whatever it was. And I threw up. I went to the toilet, I threw up physically and because my whole body was just like, I just don't want this. Mm. And I took my wedding dress, I called my friend, I moved out the next day and that was that. And we never spoke again. Um, and I kind of from then really started to listen to myself um, and it took me years to actually develop that self-awareness. Mm. But I think what's so important because the guests that you've got on the the show and, and the people that you've been speaking to, I suspect that a lot of us are a little bit longer in our journey. And there will be people that, you know, do have a heightened intuition, but aren't listening to it. And, and you know, to be able to physically throw up because I'm fighting my own body, you need to kind of become one with yourself, with your own mind. You, and when we've got a neurodivergent mind, you need to understand it before you can be one with it, right? Mm. Uh, and so I think that heightened intuition is something that, 
we all need to really listen to, not necessarily to act on blindly, but to be able to lean into whatever our guts and our bodies and everything about our, ourselves is telling us to listen to. Mm, that's so powerful. And I've spoken about intuition before with my other guests, but not like this and not in this much depth. And it's such a fascinating subject. I think what you alluded to is that there's could potentially be a conflict between your intuition and other personality traits for example being a people pleaser or avoiding mm. conflict so your gut and your intuition which is most likely true might be saying that person's trying to it's not good for me or this situation isn't bad for, good for me but you're wanting to not upset people or avoid confrontation is also a powerful force pulling you in the opposite direction and uh-huh. like you said if you're yeah, if you avoid that, if you avoid that, if you don't, if you let the people pleasing element win and you avoid the gut feeling, then eventually the the physiology of it, this is the wrong word, the um the physical reaction to letting that build up is going to manifest itself. And like you said, you threw up. I mean, I I don't know. I'm just th- throwing stuff out there, but that's certainly if I look back in my past, there's a big there's been a big conflict between my intuition and my wanting to avoid conflict and it sounds like do you relate to that kind of conflict between one side of you being a people pleaser and the other side of you telling you no this person's not good for you and they're sort of pulling in opposite directions causing a really really toxic situation absolutely and I would say I, I did relate to that I'm still learning to get away from it but two things first of all when you do that you are inauthentic not to say you're a fake person, but it's inauthentic because you are like, if if I could, if you don't mind, speak to that situation that you gave there about your intuition and the people pleasing. You're not saying what's on your mind. You've not got the right people around you and you won't be able to come across as your full self. And, uh, you know, like like with my example and what I, what I learned was, you we're all great we've got so much great potential if we're not our full selves we're not doing our you know our we're not giving our full like goodness I guess and having to people please is you know you need to kind of put yourself first and I I did have that I had it um actually my my last last relationship and it will be the last of its nature actually um I knew I was getting involved in something that wasn't right but there were kids involved and so I thought, well, I'll try and prioritize the kids and I prioritize everybody else's needs. And this happens in families so often in relationships. And, you know, eventually it really broke me. It was far too much. And that it was that, that the whole time it was my intuition saying, leave, <laughs> no, mm. not working. And I was so unhappy because I was just constantly trying to kid myself that it wasn't a big deal. And I think that does happen a lot. We were, especially with you know, personality traits, where like if you're minimizing yourself to anybody else, it's it's going to end in disaster, eventually. Mm. I think that's incredibly powerful. It's such a valuable bit of advice for anyone listening that is at a different stage in their journey to us. Is we have that self awareness now to trust our intuition, even though we might still not act on it. It's easier said than done, but before it's it's caused me and, and sounds like it's caused you some problems where you've ignored it or other parts of you have, have won that tug of war. I guess our sensitivity to rejection and sensitivity to criticism might also be quite a powerful force pulling us in the direction away from our intuition, mm-hmm. especially in romantic relationships. 
I think back in my past and I can pick a few moments. Do you, do you think there's, firstly, are you sensitive to criticism or rejection? Uh, I'm working on it, but yeah, it's just still a fear. <laughs> <laughs> it is a powerful one. I mean, for me, it can really knock me off the course for, for a while. And again, it's it, it was probably a force that has made me ignore my intuition in the past. I'm keen to talk about romantic relationships. Are you are you happy to to go there? Yeah, go ahead. Open book. <laughs> What's Alia like in the relationship? If we could speak to your previous romantic partners. Actually, I can answer that because <laughs> I actually have that experience. Because um, after lockdown, I um, I I fostered for a year to help out, and the two that weren't you know really bad actually that they were abusive so I, I couldn't speak to them so they were they were um they basically had to speak to the fostering agency and the ones that I was with for any length of time um I got I got five out of five reviews they said I was great I was understanding I was always supportive I was always like pushing them for goodness um and that actually went pretty well but what they said about me wouldn't have been how I experienced things because I'm yet to actually have one where I felt that I have fl- um, flourished they haven't always been bad. That's not some of them not been great. <laughs> um, but I do like I've minimised myself a lot, and I think this comes down to masking because I've not actually since getting my diagnosis, since I'm masking, since doing all these good things, I've not been with anybody since. Because to be honest, I haven't met anybody good enough. <laughs> I haven't met anyone that doesn't like when you're thinking about it and you're you know reading the room. I guess you just think no, that's just not for me. Mm. That's not something because I want somebody I can grow with someone I can do all these amazing things with and you know they don't have to be the same but you know like you've got this intuition you've got this emotional intelligence and I don't want to carry somebody else you know when they don't have that it's really frustrating because you have to then go and you know you have to do all the work you can't meet each other halfway and then move with it you're just like okay well you've got zero or self-awareness and I have all the self-awareness mm. so I'll just do it all like. <laughs> you've probably got so um, much self-awareness that you know all of the red flags now and because you've got that intuition as well you can pick them up so quickly so the filtering process mm. of knowing if someone's going to be a good match or not probably happens super quick so actually you don't have time for the the time wasters anymore because you can just spot them a mile off yeah I think sometimes it might be nice to be naive, but reality, it, what, for it to last for three years and then waste my time? Like, which one mm. would you rather have, the intuition or just have a few years of enjoyment? <laughs> so, <laughs> it's, it's an interesting one. It's, um, I think I've spent a lot of time working on, on me because I need to do that. But the problem is some other people aren't, aren't doing the same work. Mm. <laughs> so I guess the right person at the the right time you mentioned imposter syndrome earlier um do do you still feel like you deal with imposter syndrome now in you mentioned just coming onto this podcast and in your work um you're a successful communications coach do you sometimes feel that you're not the person who should be doing what you are doing more than I thought because it was because I didn't really think it bothered me too much I didn't think I'd, I, I, I experienced it but then even just, just doing my hoovering earlier I was just like is he going to cancel like is he just going to think why am I speaking to her <laughs> and then I do that with, with 
clients as well. Like I've got I've got some amazing clients. I've um this isn't a, a brag, it's just fact. You know, we we've written for articles that have gone in push for the Kardashians uh, magazine. We've written articles that have gone in Vogue. Um I've got your free two the other one's not published yet two published books um published by penguin for clients and they're, they're quite famous and there's you know there's all these different so the, the tables that i sit at sometimes i'm a bit you, you know who i'm not like <laughs> why am we sat at the tables and i think sometimes um yeah i do have to just tell myself to shut up and i just just think i'll just keep going until somebody shuts the door yeah <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I mean, what well, you have done is super impressive. And on the surface, you, you would look at someone like yourself who has done, like you said, really impressive things. And you would think that you, you were confident and you were self-assured and you knew your worth and you knew that you were an accomplished communications coach. But And I'm the same. And I've and pretty much everyone I've spoken to with, with ADHD and, and is the same. It's this imposter syndrome, which is, again, it's this sort of subconscious deep feeling of inadequacy um i'm finding i'm getting slightly better at it as i do stuff that gives me more evidence of my achievements is there anything that you've particularly done that has overpowered that feeling of being an imposter like a a particular event or a particular contract you've signed or a particular dinner you've been to that has been the evidence required to kick imposter syndrome to the curb? I think mine's probably very similar to you. I think one of the the nice things I'm seeing at the moment, this is such a weird thing, but because I'm working on my brand, I want to do more public speaking and kind of getting out there. So on my LinkedIn, which is where I'm, I'm very active, um, I do lots of regular videos and I talk to the audience and I kind of had to kick myself out of the house <laughs> as of January to try and get back out there, go networking and go to more events. And I, I haven't been to a single event where there hasn't been, you know, one or two people that said, oh, you're, you know, that, you're that communications lady on LinkedIn. And it's that whole, all oh, right. And then they they will tell you what you've been talking about and then start sharing their stories with you. And I love that. And I just think, oh, okay. So it's a bit like seeing the, the, the social post, but in reverse now. It's that doing that for other people. Oh, yeah, that relate. I like, so obviously with communications coaching, communication is so difficult for all of us. You know, it's all of our responsibility, but it's also a two-way street. So as much as I can work on myself, I mean, I do this for a living and I still have arguments. <laughs> so it's not about, oh, I've cured you. You're an amazing communicator now. It's actually just having the tools to rely on. And even I don't rely on them all sometimes. And, and people in neurodiversity have, have more issues to contend with. But being able to talk about this stuff and people to come to me and say, that made me feel so much better. Or reading my book and being able to say, oh, it makes so much sense. Mm. And like in coaching, just that, the fact that people get it, first of all, to me is a case study that I'm not just talking rubbish. <laughs> and seeing that difference, that change, it's just a small, slight edge that makes all the difference. It's not rocket science. I don't reinvent the wheel. It's just helping people see things in a different way, mm. which I guess is grateful for my brain. But once they have that shift themselves, for me, that's like, do you know what? Yeah, I'm, I do know what I'm doing and I, I do know what I'm talking about because I see that growth in others and I love that growth. Mm. There'll be some people who will see your... LinkedIn posts and see your videos and think that Ali has got it cracked and she is she knows what she's doing and she is 
she doesn't have bad days and she's she knows she has all the answers to 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 this um firstly do you have do you do you suffer from burnout and if you do what advice could you have for anyone to a maybe avoid it or b when it's happening to how to deal with it very good question um yes because what goes up must come down um nothing about me is linear i still struggle and you know i still i have sensory issues all the time i'll have good and bad days in one day (laughs) i'll go up i'll go down i mean you already know this but i even left my car running for a whole hour yesterday (laughs) i walked out the car left the car on went to the gym came back and my car just sat there and i was like okay i did that (laughs) and in terms of burnout um yeah i'm quite i get it quite badly um it used to be a lot more regular and longer so it would happen for like two weeks and i'd just be in bed wouldn't speak to anyone i would work with my laptop duvet around me bitter and angry (laughs) and i was in this state of i just can't get out of it um that's lessened now and i'll talk about the tips as how how i got there i don't think it will ever go away um as much as i would love it to I, i would love to try medication and see if that helps with the balancing a bit but it's not where i'm at and um what I first of all, my diagnosis helped a lot because it helped me understand. Well, okay, you know, I'm not just a psycho bitch. I have actually got a reason as to why I don't feel great today. It allowed me to recognise, and this resonates actually. I don't want to hijack what your first guest said because very similar. Well, I was able to kind of understand when I get triggered, and I don't have a grasp of this, and definitely not perfect, but it helps. And so when I know, you know somebody's parked outside in my bay okay (laughs) what do we do about it (laughs) you know if I had um you know if somebody's just been rude or like somebody's been passive aggressive and social injustice is a big thing for me so I can't stand bullies and I I could see something happening I'm like well okay this is going to set me off like at least a day um so kind of knowing and seeing oh my energy is about to drop, I'm about to crash or, or for example, and this is not healthy and I don't condone it, I've accidentally allowed myself to have 13 back-to-back meetings on Tuesday. So what I would have done in the past would I've spent my whole Easter stressing about it and I would have been panicking and it would have been stressful and I would have gone to every meeting hating it. Um, now I just know it's coming, it's fine. <laughs> going to be hard I'm going to do some self-care in the evening I'm going to have a massage and I think what really helps me and I do forget to do this sometimes I have to remind myself um is to have a list of all the things that bring me joy and whether it's I even I love my dog but even my dog annoys me when I'm <laughs> at a horrible thing does so I've got a Rottweiler Sharpe he's quite heavy and I have a um I have a I have a a waist belt for him and sometimes he gets excited and he pulls you know and even that that if I'm triggered and I'm in burnout and I'm just like my energy is just gone and I call it zombie mode that's that's my burnout zombie mode when my dog is pulling it's like so irritating (laughs) you know even saying being with my dog that's not enough you know it's not walking around here where there's cars and traffic and people and they just annoy me it's getting out into the mountains it's going to snowden it's swimming in a waterfall with him it's being away from everybody 
even if I want to shout and scream, nobody can hear you. <laughs> and it's kind of being super specific about what part of what I enjoy. So we like going to the beach and I like going to the beach at 5am in the morning. Nobody's there. I can take my dog off the lead so he's not pulling me and I'll just run with him into the water and he loves that and I love it too. So it's kind of finding exactly what I enjoy and just doing more of it because I can't, you can't avoid it. I have to accept it. I'm just in this space. And I think I've come onto this, this call actually in a really good mood, which is helpful. Um, you know, I can change in the same day. So I think mm. just being patient with yourself, knowing what works and just not forcing it. So I, when, when I was going for two weeks and they were really bad, it was horrible. So bad. But I would be angry at myself and I'd be like, just do it. Just get on with it. Just crack on. You know, if I have to, I will just move my meetings. There's nothing you can't do. If I hire somebody, bring some in, ask for help, push something back until you're in a different mm. space. Those 13 meetings, and this isn't going to happen, but if I got to Tuesday and I couldn't do it, no one's going to die. If I just say, listen, would it be okay if we rearrange? Even if I rearranged half of them, um, you know, there's so many things at our disposal. It's just kind of, getting over ourselves a little bit to be able to give ourselves permission to say it's okay that we're not okay right now. Really, really good advice to don't beat yourself up if you if you have too many meetings. Like you said, if you zoom out and actually what you're stressing about now isn't a really a big deal, it's not going to be an issue probably in 24 hours time. Don't beat yourself up too much. And you can, like you said, you can cancel a meeting. You can move it back nothing's going to happen um and that comes with that self-awareness i think and to to know when you've you've perhaps got a little bit too much on i think that's that's a really nice place to to end the conversation i think that's super advice to finish on um where can people find you if they want to hear more or speak to you a bit so uh, links is probably the best place i will give you my links if that's okay and we can put them below or wherever or somewhere so i'm alia costa so just find me on linkedin or our website is the four pillars so that uk um you'll find us on our socials on there and anyone can kind of reach out if they're kind of having questions or um kind of just want to share their story really because i've always got an open door and i'm happy to listen amazing that will all flash up on the screen all those details thank you so much alia um i've certainly learned a lot just from hearing you the, the advice you said um, in the last bit to avoid burnout actually really, really helped me. And I've absolutely no idea that it's, it was, it, no, I, no doubt that it will help the listeners. So thank you for being so honest and so open and to share your story with such vulnerability and honesty. It's, is going to help people. People will listen to this. People like you who have done really interesting things to hear that actually you deal with the good stuff and you deal with the bad stuff, just like everyone else. It, will, it really will bring home a more balanced narrative around what it's like to live with ADHD and, and be neurodivergent and, and make people feel like they're heard. So thank you so much for, for coming on. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 